One of my favorite questions to ask people is this question. Tell me how you came to know the Lord. Do you love it when you ask people that question? Did you ever hear an uninteresting story after you ask a real Christian that question? Tell me how you came to know the Lord. It's... um. It's a beautiful question to ask. When I uh, when they used to have Moody Monthly magazine, the back page of Moody Monthly magazine was always the same. It was a story about how somebody came to know the Lord. And I always took the magazine, and I always turned there first, and I always read that story, and it was always interesting to me. No such a thing as an uninteresting story about how somebody came to know the Lord. How many of you heard a radio broadcast Unshackled that comes from Chicago from the Pacific Guard Mission. Is that cool or what? It's, it's the longest running radio program of any kind ever. And it is just simply stories about how people were totally messed up in their sin and how they came to know the Lord. I've actually known a couple of people personally whose stories have been featured on Unshackled. I'm talking about people whose lives were so messed up, you thought like completely beyond redemption. And these are people who still are walking with the Lord and who are living for the Lord today. You know, that's what the Bible says. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature and all things are passed away and all things are becoming new. There is a real thing called salvation that people get. And their lives change forever and forever and forever. And they're never the same again. And I never get tired of hearing those stories. There just aren't enough of them. Have you ever noticed that? Why don't you take a look at one of those stories in the Bible. We're going to be doing this from now to Easter. We have a pinch hitter coming on the 7th of March. He's going to do the same thing. Uh, I'll be here too, but hanging out. But uh, from now to Easter, we're going to be looking at stories from when the church was young and bold. From the book of Acts. Conversion stories. Stories about people who got saved. Isn't that going to be exciting? And tonight, you're going to help me. Because you're going to come back, aren't you? Amen. Just say amen boldly like a good Baptist. You're going to come back tonight. Amen? Amen. I like that. That's good. And you're going to tell your story about how you came to know the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen? Yeah, yeah right. I want to, I'm going to take a microphone. I'm going to walk down there. I'm going to say, tell me how you came to know the Lord. And then you're going to tell me your story. What do you think, Jello man? Are you good? You good with that? Not tonight, huh? You do that today, maybe? <laughs> I'll tell you, there's nothing like a boring conversion testimony. And we're going to do that tonight. That's what we're going to do. And I'll tell you why we're going to do that. Because we need a little uh, tune-up. That's what we need. We need to stop being so satisfied with things as they are. When there are so many people who still don't know the Lord. So many people who could enjoy what you and I enjoy. So many people who need to be free from their guilt and from their sin. They need to know that they can go to heaven when they die. You know a lot of people like that, and I do too. And some of those people are people that are related to you. Some of those people, they're people that you work with. They're people that you live nearby. And we just kind of got used to them being on their way to hell, and we're kind of used to it. And that isn't good, is it? And so we just kind of need a tune-up, if you will. We need a little, uh, we need a little talking to. We need a little... We need a little um, a little halftime chat, you know, with the coach. And I think one of the best ways that we can do this in a positive way, in a way that will inspire us, is just to look at what does it look like in the Bible when people got saved. And today I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to open the book of Acts, in chapter 8, and we're going to look at one of the most fascinating conversion stories in the Bible. A story of a, a man who is an African man, who was high up in his government, who came to know the Lord in the most unusual way. 
We call it the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And it's really the story of Philip's response to the direction of the Lord to go and speak to a man that the Holy Spirit was working on already. It's really a great story. You'll find it in Acts chapter 8. And I want you to notice verses 4 through 8 because it kind of sets up what's going on. You know that the outline of the book of Acts is, is kind of found in Acts 1.8. It's into just Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. It's the Jesus story going from Jerusalem to Judea, the surrounding countryside, to Samaria, shock of all shocks, to the uttermost parts of the world. And you actually see that as an outline of the book of Acts. The gospel goes out. The story of Jesus goes out like in these concentric circles. It stays in Jerusalem, and then like the persecution comes, and then it goes to Judea, and then it goes to Samaria, and this is where it is. now. And to the utter, and, you, and this, this story lies at the seam between Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world because This Ethiopian guy, this African guy, is a really interesting convert. He's symbolic of the gospel going out to the rest, the uttermost parts of the world. And you ought to be really happy that happened. You ought to be really happy, unless you were born like in Jerusalem or something in the Middle East. You ought to be really happy that happened, because that's why you're here today. Because somebody took this life-changing story, and they took the risk... And they had the conviction to actually go and tell somebody else who spoke different than they did, who looked different, who ate different kinds of food, who spoke different languages. And they overcame those prejudices, they overcame those barriers, and they took it because of the conviction that they had, and they took the gospel. Well, that's what Philip was doing. Now, Philip was one of the seven guys who was appointed. We kind of call them early deacons. They're spirit-filled men that were just willing to serve the Lord. And he was one of those seven. But it says at this point in Acts chapter 8 that he'd gone to Samaria and God was meeting with Samaritan people and they were really coming to faith. It was so exciting that it was, it was very similar to what had happened in Jerusalem. And there were these outward Holy Spirit manifestations, speaking in tongues and miracles. It was a very unique, unusual, interesting time. And, and, there, and this was with Samaritans, and there was this, as you know, there was this great prejudice. Certainly not Samaritans or the good Jewish people would say, how could the Samaritans, I mean, their doctors all messed up. How could these people possibly have met Jesus like us? Let's just send representatives to go check them out and see if that's what really happened. And when the representatives came, they gave them the uh, good housekeeping seal of approval. They said, this is the real deal. They really did, did get saved. And that's what we're seeing in Acts chapter 8, in verses 4 through 8. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching a word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And this multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And this is an understatement, verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. How would you like to see a little of that going on? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? This was a unique time when the Holy Spirit was giving a special outpouring of miraculous gifts in order to confirm the apostolic message, and he was doing it around the world, and he did it there, and Philip was a part of that. That's really exciting. How many of you would like to be in a place like that? How many would like to have seen that, to be a part of that, or even to be one of the key leaders of that? That would have been exciting, but God actually says to Philip a little bit later on, I want you to leave that because there's somewhere else I want you to go. And he sends him out in the middle of nowhere. 
You skip forward. We're going to skip over a false conversion story, I believe, the story of, 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 of Simon the sorcerer. And that story is in there, too. But I don't want to start on a negative note. Let's skip to a more positive note, the one, the story that starts in verse 26. That's what happens is Philip is preaching in Samaria, and the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, verse 26, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is wilderness or desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading Isaiah the prophet. It's an incredible story, it really is. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation where his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found, found at Azotus and passed through. He preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Wow! That's quite a story, isn't it? Flannel would never do justice to this story, am I right? Guess some miraculous things going on here. It's a very unusual thing. There are elements in it that are instructive to us. But going over the story, think about what has happened now. God uses the angel of the Lord to send Philip. Philip is already a server. He's saying he's waiting tables or he's preaching or whatever he's needed to do. He starts out just basically, while you guys preach the word and pray, I'll wait tables. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's recognized as a spirit-filled guy. And so eventually he's preaching. He's telling about Jesus. He's telling the Jesus story. He's telling the resurrection story. Everywhere these early disciples and apostles went, they just told the story of Jesus because they realized that he had died, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he's coming back, and it was their job to go tell. So that's what they did. That's what disciples are supposed to do. Even still, that's what they did. And Philip was used here in this wonderful way, this great outpouring, this great revival, and it was confirmed by the apostles. And then God says, I want you to go to this lonely desert place. There's this, there's this um, city that used to be a fortress that is now abandoned. I want you to just go there. It doesn't even tell him why he's going there, but it says he immediately goes. He just gets up and he goes. And then there is this very unusual circumstance of this Ethiopian man, this African man, who is a Jewish convert or a God-fearer, who's gone to Jerusalem to worship and somehow has picked up a copy of the scroll of Isaiah in a Greek, a Septuagint, and he's reading, of all places, the part that's descriptive of the suffering Messiah, the Lord Jesus. He's reading Isaiah 53. 
So God the Holy Spirit has been working in this guy, and he's got him in the Bible. He's got him right at this spot in the Bible. And he asked this, and, you know, Philip's, the Spirit then nudges him again. The Spirit nudges Philip again and says, go over there and talk to him. And he obeys the Spirit. He goes over and talks to him. And his question is, do you understand what you're reading? It was a great question. And he says, I need help. Do you know of any teachers around here? Philip's like, I- I'm here to help. And, and, he, and, and then the question is, who is this? Now, it's his evidence that the Spirit of God is working on this Ethiopian guy because he's asking the right question. The question that just leaps off the page for him is, who is this mysterious person, this character, this suffering person that's bearing sin? Who is this? And there have been all kinds of you know, conjecture from unbelieving people about who this might have been. And Jewish people who reject Jesus as the Messiah want to say, well, maybe it was Israel. Or they have other things. Most people, even, even Jewish scholars will say, obviously, this is descriptive of the Messiah. And what is interesting, I talked to a Jewish evangelist not too long ago, and he said sometimes they will just take Isaiah 53, they will take it out, put it on a piece of paper, and just hand it to a common Jewish person and say, read this and tell me who you think this is describing, not telling them where it's from. Just read this and tell me who you think it's describing. And the common Jewish person will read that and they go, it sounds to me like that's describing Jesus Christ. And then the evangelist says, you're right. Do you know where this came from? And they go, no. And the evangelist says, this is from Isaiah 53. Get it? In other words, if an average thinking person would recognize Jesus in Isaiah 53, Jesus Christ is Israel's Messiah. And this is the story. I mean, just Philip is just telling him the gospel, and he's starting where where he is, and then he's going through the scripture, and he's showing him the story of Jesus. So there's some fascinating elements of this that I think are helpful, and they're instructive. Before I talk about them, let's just follow Philip a little bit. What happens with Philip after this is interesting. We know a little bit because there's a little bit more of a biblical record. I like it a lot. Acts chapter 20 says that he went up and he kind of set up his place. He's still there like 20 years later. And he had a family. He had four daughters who prophesied. He had four daughters. I have four daughters. So this kind of hits close to home to me. And I will just tell you boldly and candidly, this is my desire for them, that my daughters would prophesy all the time. That my daughters would preach the word of God. Wherever had spoke yesterday at Word Church, and the gal came up to me afterwards. She says, "Do you believe in women preachers?" I said, "I sure do. I sure do." I knew you were going to be quiet when I said that. There are some details about this that we would want to work out, but women should be talking about Jesus everywhere they go. Right? That whole teaching of usurping authority in the church and how that works out. So another question, we'll talk about it later. What I want to talk about right now is, if you're a woman, are you so excited about Jesus Christ that you cannot stand to keep quiet about it? Like one of Philip's daughters who prophesied, they had a story to tell about, there's something beautiful about a woman who has been in touch with Jesus and she wants to talk about it wherever she goes. God, give us women preachers. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't expect you to get all enthused about that because you're thinking, is he talking about why? Is that? I don't want to talk. I told you already. I don't want to talk about that right now. We'll talk about that another time. I don't want competition for my job. That's right. You're, but, but we do want as many women flooded out there into the world. And there are places, many, many, many places for them. 
to talk about Jesus. And what a beautiful thing it is for a woman whose heart has been touched by God to prophesy, to talk, to tell. There are people who will never be reached unless a woman tells them about Jesus Christ. There are people who, for whatever reasons, they can't hear the voice of a man, but they will hear the voice of a woman. There's something very, very powerful and very, very special. Can you tell I want to get on a soapbox about this? And I pray when I read this about Philip and his four prophesying daughters, I pray, God, would you please take the truth of God and so put it as a seed in the hearts of every one of my daughters that until they draw their last breath, they will give testimony that you are the King of Kings and that you you are the Lord of Lords. Nothing in the world more important than that. Nothing in the world more important than that. And Irenaeus, an early church father, says that this Ethiopian man went to Africa and he founded the church in Africa, which flourished. And there are other stories about what might have happened with Philip. We're really not sure. Fascinating to, to consider what might have happened after this. But we have this sparse record and we have this instructive record of what happened on this day. And what can we learn from it? I mean, think about this. I believe that God wants to draw people from all over the world to himself, that he and the power of the Holy Spirit is working to do that right now. He is not done doing that. You say, well, the book of Acts is a long time ago, transitional period, more signs and wonders than we have now. We can talk about all of that, but let's just think right now. Does God still want the world to believe? Yes. Are we still sent to all the world with the gospel? Yes. Is this great commission still in effect? Yes. Should we still be telling people about the Lord? Yes. And so the Holy Spirit has still got people out there like this Ethiopian guy who are reading their Bibles and they're scratching their head and they're trying to get it figured out. And they're like ready for somebody to come along and say, you have anybody to help you understand that? Now, what I want to get across today out of this little story is just to get you excited about this. It's not like you've got to go be a cheap vacuum cleaner salesman or an encyclopedia salesman or a used car salesman with a, with a plaid jacket and you've got to force somebody into buying something they don't want. This is not what we're talking about. When we're talking about what Philip did, it was like he was serving the Lord. He was ready to explain Jesus in the Scriptures. He was already serving the Lord, either waiting tables or preaching or whatever God wanted him to do. And God says, can I send you somewhere? And he says, I'm on my way. And God sends him to a guy who's ready. Anybody want to be a part of that? When you read a story like that, does it make you feel like, oh, God, if I could be used of God, is there somebody out there? Is it possible that one of my neighbors or maybe one of my distant cousins or a friend at work going through a difficult time, his idols are failing him, and he would be open? God, if there's somebody that's even a little bit open, I'm going to have myself studied up as a worker that needeth not to be ashamed. I'm going to have myself ready. I'm serving already, but you send me. I'm going. If a person, and I'm going to be that kind of a guy that's going to live in a sensitivity to people around me, that there might be somebody that the Holy Spirit is working with. You understand, nobody gets saved without the Holy Spirit doing the work first. Nobody. Nobody. Nobody ever did. Nobody ever can. Nobody ever will. So think about that. God, the Holy Spirit, hovering over your neighborhood, over this city, over the city where you live, over the shop where you live, or the school where you teach. And He's hovering. He's working. He's stirring. He will touch people's lives. Maybe not now. Maybe in a few weeks. Maybe in a few years. Maybe you sow a seed that has life in it. And later on it comes to fruition. That's the way God works. That ought to make you really excited. There are empty places here in this building for people like that. 
And in every other gospel preaching church around this area that ought to be filled, thriving, bursting the seas with people who have been touched by God. And who is it then that God is working with? Are you serving? Are you studied up? And are you spiritually sensitive like Philip so that if there's somebody like that, God could say to you, now, go get him. Move. Bake the pie. Start up your grill. Invite him over. Invite him to church. Give him a CD. Send him a link to the website. Buy him that little book and give it to them. Ask him if they could use some help. Give him a little bit of money. Whatever it is. But you are spiritually sensitive, realizing that God is at work. Think about what would happen if we had a renewal of that vision. Think about what would happen. I look at it like big, plump blueberries. You ever go blueberry picking? And you know, the ones that, 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 that are big and plump and ripe, what happens when you touch them? They just fall off in your hand. And I have been in ministry a long time desiring to do this. I grew up on so many stories. I've heard so many stories about people coming to know the Lord. I grew up on that. And so I love to hear stories about how people got saved. And I have tugged on some unripe fruit in my time, you know, really kind of like beating people over the head, kind of like throwing gospel rocks at people. Guilty as charged, you know, getting down there and closing and really kind of putting the pressure on people. But then I can look back over my own life and I can tell you times when I walked up to the blueberry bush and I touched and a big plump blueberry fell right in my hand because it was so ready. There are ready people. There are big plump blueberries out there right now. And we ought to have stains all around our mouth. This is a weird analogy, I know. But I'm just telling you, there are people that are ready. There are people that are ready. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are hungry. There are people that are questioning. They're out there. God has them. He's preparing them. He's miraculously at work in them. But the way he works is he lets us get involved in that. We don't do it. We just get involved in it. We've got an harvest thing. And he's had that all growing. Now think about that. I'll make you excited. I know some of you right now. I've had experience even this week where I see that happening. There are people that you are working with, you are living in front of them, and you are talking with them, and you are loving them, and they're seeing your faith. And so that's, that's one of the things that God is using to make them more open to the things of the Lord. Now, that ought, that's just something that as a church that we ought to give a greater emphasis to here in these next few weeks. I want to challenge you to do that when you hear stories like that. I heard once, but my wife and I, when we years ago, we had a little church in, in the country in Ohio. And when I took the church, there was an evangelistic team that was already scheduled to come and be at the church. It wasn't a group that I would have picked. And I was young and inexperienced. And if I had been stronger as a leader, I would have said, cancel all those previous engagements. Thank you. I'll pick my own evangelistic team. But I didn't have the wisdom to do that. And I just took this evangelistic team that had already been scheduled. And when they showed up, they were really interesting, very colorful, interesting people. And they did a good job. And they, the, it was a husband who preached and a wife who played the piano. And she had a mean, honky-tonk way of playing the piano, which really was pretty good. And, and, he, and he was uh, a preacher. So anyway, but when they got done, we would go out to eat. So they would do their thing, and they would preach, and then we would go out to eat. So we're sitting there um, uh, after we're eating. And she started telling about her family. Here's one of the things she said. She said, I got a son who's a pastor, and he pastors his church. It's about 100 or something. It's a small church. It's not really very big, but it's full, and it has wealthy people in it, so they do pretty well. And um, they have a nice house, and they have a good income, and he really doesn't even need to go out and, and 
you know, really work to build that church because he really has everything he already needs. And Lois and I kind of looked at each other like, what in the world? You call yourself an evangelistic team and you talk like that? That's just scandalous. You know, I still haven't gotten over that. Lois and I were talking about that last night. I, we still haven't gotten over that. It's a scandal. It's wrong. And you agree with that? You don't say, well, you know, since I'm happy and I have all that I want, you'll just let the rest of the world go to perdition. I don't care. You call yourself, in a, you, you call yourself a Christian? You, of course, we, you couldn't possibly really call yourself a Christian and behave like that. You couldn't do that. Because we've got to continually care. Well, even while we're enjoying all the fruits of the things that God has given to us, there has to be this continual burden that always lays on our heart for people who maybe at one time were here, but they're not here anymore, or never have been here, but they could be, and they could enjoy all the wonderful things that, that we enjoy. But they're outside of the Lord. That's, let me give maybe, maybe a couple of applications. One application to our church as a whole, and an application to individuals as a church I, my, my experience has been primarily in rural churches, in beautiful rural places or little villages. It's been my experience. And God, in my mind, if I was sensitive at all to the Lord, I would be in these little places and I would be serving and, and I would be preaching. And in one particular place we lived, beautiful place here in Knox County, and we started a church there, rolling countryside, very, very beautiful area, agricultural, very, very quiet, kind of peaceful, low crime, high property values, all that stuff. And so, but we have this little tiny church, and the church is scratching out in existence, meeting in the professional center of agriculture originally, and then we moved to an old Grange Hall. And um, while I was working there, I, I had this burden in my heart that I needed to reach people. I needed to somehow reach people in that area. And I would labor and pray and read and experiment and try different things. And I had a list of people always going in my mind who I could reach, how, how I could talk to them about the Lord, constantly working at that. But at the same time, God always put on my mind, in the back of my mind, I didn't often talk to people about this because I... I didn't think I could talk to them about that without the misunderstanding that it would be some kind of inappropriate ambition. But here's what I feel like God always put in the back of my mind. I will have you on a thoroughfare someday. I will have you on a thoroughfare someday where lots of people are. And so you understand that God has brought us to, be, to here. And, and, and since God has brought me here, one of the things that I was concerned about is this is such a nice church with beautiful music and nice people and a relatively full house most times. We could be satisfied with that. We could just be satisfied to come, kind of look at each other, encourage one another. We'd have a trickle of unbelievers coming in every once in a while, and we could be satisfied with that. But here's the thing that I feel very, very profoundly convinced of, and then why I'm preaching this series of messages. We cannot allow ourselves to do that. We cannot, because there are so many people who should hear of Jesus Christ. Even if all we do is we are so clear and so compassionate and so compelling that we at least give them a clear picture of Jesus to turn down. They should know the gospel well enough to reject him intelligently, at least, so that they can't say, nobody ever really made that clear to me. This is an exciting thing when you think of it like God has put us here on this thoroughfare providentially on this corner. This is a very special corner. God has protected this property, this ground, for many years, over 75 years. 
Christian people have devoted this corner to the service of God. God looks on this corner with great expectation. I believe it with all of my heart. He has providentially, sovereignly placed us here in this sea of humanity, of people who need to know Jesus Christ. They need to know of Him. I don't want to browbeat you or make you feel discouraged. Not at all. Think about it. He's the one doing it. We get to participate. So what I'm saying, we don't have to go out there and make that happen. Holy Spirit makes that happen. What we say is Holy Spirit of God who broods over this area, who hovers over this great area of people who need you. I am one of your children, and I will speak your name. I will speak to others. I will love other people. I will do whatever you tell me to do in order to make the gospel clear to other people. That's a word for us. Symbolically, a couple of things. You see that plate? You can't, but I'm always looking up here. Now, we're, we're a little, our tennis is a little thin today. Normally, the lower level is pretty full. We, we got it kind of full over there. And this is always empty here. Left field bleachers are always empty. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing to see. Because I think of it like this. I wasn't here for this to happen. I didn't pay for it. You guys, you people paid for this building. And God's people, that maybe some of them aren't here now, pay for this beautiful building, debt-free, sitting on this corner in this great city, in these great cities of people who right now are just struggling, many of them, to carve out their life, to try to make their families work, to try to pay their bills, to try to, make, to, try to find some joy, some happiness. And here we are with the water of life. We know Jesus Christ who thrills our souls every day, whether or not we even have a job. Even if we're sick, we still have joy because we know the Lord. And this, this, God used other people, and many of you, to build this building. And then symbolically, I look there and I see that emptiness. And to me, that doesn't discourage me, but it's a little reminder to me, aren't there people that ought to fill that place right there? Really, aren't there people that ought to fill that place? And maybe that would be messier than what we like. And maybe we need to move away from the temptation to look at the church kind of like a museum or a monument or a memorial and look at it more like a mission, more like a movement. Maybe we ought to start looking at the church more like it's going to get ugly here because people are going to come in here and they're not going to be all cleaned up yet. They're not going to have it all put together yet. They're still going to be struggling with some latent sins. They're not going to be like us all perfect and everything. They're, they're, they're going to have some unacceptable sins, not just acceptable sins. It's the way it work. You say, well, no, that, no, that all happens in outside. You win them outside, you clean them up outside. Now, you know that isn't true. That's not the way it works. No, no. Wouldn't it be something? What would happen? What would happen if God would choose, would hear our prayers, God, we're not satisfied just to enjoy our nice church. We're not satisfied just to enjoy our songs of worship and praise, which we love so much. We're not satisfied just to have our fellowship with our nice Christian friends. We are not satisfied with that because we have a burden of compassion like you have a burden of compassion for people who are lost. And so we don't know how to do it. And we don't feel personally able to do it, but we're here to do that. We're here to help. And then all of a sudden that would put, wouldn't that, would that not put life back into a lot of things that we sometimes just do because we do them? Wouldn't that kind of like be a tune-up for our church, for our souls? Don't you think that's something that we all need from time to time? That God would put upon us a burden for people. And so I would say symbolically, keep in mind two things. Keep in mind that balcony right there. That God would fill these pews and that balcony. It wouldn't have to be just once. He could do it over again. But at least that's a beginning. Because here's, here's the scriptures there in, in Luke 14. Tell us a little bit about the heart of Jesus. 
And you remember Luke chapter 14, here's what the passage says, And then the master said to the servant, Go out of the highways, and the hedges compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. And I'm stretching the context, obviously, just a little bit. We're talking about the household of God, not just this building. But I'm just saying this. In the sovereign providence of God, he allowed this church to build this building in this place. And we're not lacking for people who need the Lord around here. And so since that's the case, when he comes back, will he not look us in the eye and say to us, what did you do with what I gave you to use? And I want to be able to say, Lord, you know I wanted to help people. You know I wanted to tell people about you. You know that, Lord. So he cares about that more than I do. And I believe he's put that burden on my heart as a pastor. And I want to transfer that burden. I know many of you already have it, but I want to transfer that burden and deepen that burden to you so that you would say, yes, Lord, what is it? Show me. How can I do that? People that you work with, people that you know. So that's a challenge to the church. Let me give you a challenge individually. I want you to think about this. Just an encouraging challenge that you would leave here inspired and stirred and thrilled in your soul. Somebody witnessed to you. Somebody witnessed to your mother. Somebody witnessed to your dad. Or how did you come to know the Lord? Somebody told you about Jesus Christ. Somebody stretched themselves. Somebody went beyond their comfort zone. Somebody had to say something that was a little bit, oh my goodness, we don't talk politics and religion. I'm glad somebody talked religion to my dad when he was a lost, drunken sailor and he needed Jesus Christ. And Jesus has made his way through our entire family and generations. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen because some crazy kid up at Great Lakes Naval Air Station pressed my dad, who was a religious guy, but he wasn't saved. Now, who told your family? Who told you? How do you find out about Jesus? Don't you think you ought to help other people find out about him too? Think about that. What would happen if we would think that way? What would happen if we would get ready so that if, let's say, somebody did say they would like for us to sit down and explain the gospel to them, we would be eager to do it. We would be ready to do it. We would know how to do it. Well, what if you had a neighbor that said, yeah, what is it? Well, how do you, what do you guys believe about how to, how to be right with God? How would you be ready? I get, see, Philip was ready. He was, already, he was already locked and loaded. He was already ready to go. And God sends people that are ready like that. My dad always said to me, Kenny, prepare to serve the Lord. Because God will always have a place for, for a prepared man. God will always have, so you get ready. He will always have a place for you to serve. That has been so true. And if you prepare yourself to tell somebody about how to draw the bridge illustration or how to explain the gospel to them. Or even if you just felt so weak, you would say, I have a friend who's really good at this. Would you go with me and we'll meet with my friend? And you just bring them to the friend and you just sit there. You buy the coffee and you listen to the conversation. And it wouldn't be something. What would happen? What would happen if we would see ourselves as a, a, a kind of mobilized, missional kind of force to do that all the time? What would happen if we would get up every day and pray that way? Say, Lord, if you you got something you want to use me, if you give a word, if I can share a a gospel track with somebody or give a CD or send them to a website or send them a little message on Facebook, invite them to church, Um, I'm I'm ready to go invite them out to dinner or invite them out for coffee or for breakfast and just listen to their story and listen to their life. How many of you understand Muslim faith? Do you understand the Muslim faith well? Raise your hand if you feel like you understand the Muslim faith well. Not very many of us. None of us want to say, yeah, I do. We're just like in the dark about that. And we live just a few miles away from lots of people of the Muslim faith. And so wouldn't it be something if we were to say, hey, explain that to me. And we listen to their stories. 
And we started getting the stories of other people, what they believe. And then we started kind of putting that together, how I could prepare myself to start where they are and show them Jesus and the scriptures with the ones who show themselves that, that we're able to tell that the Holy Spirit's working with them. This is what I'm talking about, a challenge to us. What would happen if we would do that? What would happen if we were ready to answer the questions in people's souls, if we knew how to show them Jesus in the Bible, if we had a little list on our heart all the time of those that the Holy Spirit may be drawing to himself, that we often prayed for them, and we had them on our phone to call them, and they were in our email, that we could send them an email, and we kept them, that we, we thought about them, we kept them alive, or the, maybe if they were sick, or if they had a need, or if they had a trouble, that we would quickly be the one there. What would happen? What would happen if um, we had 500, over 500 members of our church, 500 members of our church? What would happen if only half of them went into this kind of mode where God helped me to effectively reach somebody? Even in a year's time, just even one person, that would be a revival-like atmosphere in our church. If 250 people got saved in one year, when was the last time that happened? I've never seen that happen. And I'm not browbeating you today. That's the last thing I want to do in these messages. It's just going to be encouragement and, and humility. We're just humbly saying, God, I've seen this happen in such a small way. Would you do it again? Would you use me to do it? That's all I'm saying. Just to be sensitive to the Lord. What would happen? What would happen if people became spiritually sensitive, expecting the Holy Spirit to send us to people who are open and who are questioning? What would happen if maybe we cleared some empty things off of our schedule and we just kind of gave ourselves more to things that were like eternal that might, have a, that might make a difference? What would happen if we just decided to stop doing some stuff that really doesn't really matter that much and start doing stuff that might have, make an eternal difference? What would happen then? What would happen if God, the Holy Spirit, would answer the prayer that I often pray, that of the thousands of people that drive right past this church every day, that God, the Holy Spirit, would tug on them to just look over this way and to see this building like they never... Some of you that are sitting right here have told me that very story. You said, I drove by the church all the time, but one day I just saw it. What would happen if that's a supernatural movement of God? Is that too bold to ask? Lord, you, you, you inspired people to build this wonderful church. You inspired people to be faithful here over the years. We're, we want to be faithful to your word, and we want to win, folks, and, and we're willing to go out. Yes, yes. But w- would you cause the people who drive by this church, the thousands of people who drive by this church, would you cause them to look over here with new eyes? Wouldn't that be something if that were to happen? I think it is happening. And I think it will happen. I talk with people every once in a while. I say to them, how, how did you come here? Uh, John and Heather Fisher, they're on a mission field now. But they were here for a while. I said, so what made you finally decide to come here? And they said, well, I drove by all the time. But one day we just noticed them. Like, that's what I keep praying. Uh, others have said the same thing. Just, I drove by a lot. Then all of a sudden I just kind of noticed it. Well, God... The Holy Spirit, would you please cause people to notice this church? And we'll also be faithful to go out there, talk to the girl at McDonald's, and just love her and be nice to her and be friendly to her and invite her to church or give her a gospel track or whatever it is that God uses you to do. What would happen? What would happen if we would see everybody in our life on a, possibly on a continuum toward Christ and that, ev- that every day when we talk to them or in our actions or our behaviors, we're just nudging them Godward? Would it be different if we started looking at our lives that way? Is that people on a continuum towards Christ, many possibly are, and that our job is just to nudge them a little closer. It's pretty exciting to think that way. What kind of church 
would be more like, you might think, oh, no, 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 Pastor, I don't want to get involved in all that because we've got to kind of hunker down here. We've got to be holy. We've got to hunker down. We've got to, we got to stay away from the world. We've got to be, protect ourselves from those bad people. Uh, we, we got, our kids need to a place where there aren't any bad people around. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. I've been in church 30 years and bad people are here too. You're bad people. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I know you, we could talk of the theology of that and wonderful things that God has done in our life. But I'm just I'm trying to say that there is within each one of us enough potential sin to kill us all. And so what here's what I think would be better. Which would you rather raise your child? And we had about 80 of our teenagers, like 70 some of our teenagers that are right now under the sound of the gospel elsewhere. And while they're gone, let's think about that now. What kind of church do you want them to be raised in? A church that's kind of a cultural Christian preservation society that says, we like it this way and that's the way we're going to do it because I like it that way? Or would you rather raise your kids in a church as I'm fire for God when people are coming and their lives are changing? Might be a little messy, might be a little different. Which church do you think would be more likely to capture your child's heart for God? The church that's kind of like the cultural preservation society. The church that's kind of like a museum. The church that's kind of like a monument that's nice and clean and tidy. Or the church where people, sinners, are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and their lives are changing and they're giving up their sin and they're, and they're, and they're giving up their addictions and they're getting their marriages healed or they're serving God single. That's the kind of church that I want my kids to be in. That's what I want them to see. I want them to see the power of God alive and at work in their church. Now, what would happen if we would just ask the Lord for that? Now, none of us can make that happen. I can't make that happen by force of will. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a powerful enough leader to, to organize something like that. Not me. Not a chance. Only if God would listen to our prayers and say, would you use this in this way? This is the way we desire what would happen. Yeah. Can I just give you a little simple thing? And, and I won't go on and on here, but I guess I already have gone on and on. But a little simple thing. Studies, studies have shown that inviting people to church is a powerful thing. And we understand the church is primarily for believers. We worship here. But we also understand that the Bible very clearly teaches that often unbelievers will come in. And that's the way it's been for the life of this church, a 75-year history of this church. Unbelievers have always been invited here, and they've been given the gospel along with watching us worship. And so that's not, that's not unusual. It's not something we should stop doing. And I don't know what would happen if we... Because here's the interesting statistically. Why do people... If you, if you, they, they, they interviewed 10,000 people. The Institute for Church Growth interviewed 10,000 people. They asked the question... What's responsible for you coming to this church and staying here? And the answers were uh, 1% because they had visited on their own, 1% because they liked Sunday school, 2% because they had a special need, 3% just walked in, 3% liked the programs, 6% liked the pastor, 79% were invited by a friend or relative. 79% were invited by not a hired gun, but just a friend or a relative. Why am I saying that? I know that's true. I've been a pastor 30 years. I've watched it happen. I know it's true. We don't want to go to where we turn the church into a nightclub so that lots of people feel comfortable there. You know I don't believe that. I've been preaching here long enough. You know that, right? You say amen. Yeah. But what we do want to do is we want to, along with going out aggressively and witnessing aggressively and loving people outside who will never come here, we do want to keep inviting people here. And I challenge you to invite people here. This is a wonderful church. Let them hear us sing the praises of our living God. 
Let them hear the ringing, clarion call, the gospel. Let them see our families serving God. Don't you think that will tug on the hearts of people? Who could you invite? Think of that. It's just a simple little thing. I went to the doctor one time. I was really overweight. You think I'm overweight now? You should have seen me then. I was really overweight. Went to the doctor. The doctor says to me, Ken, looking at your numbers here, he kind of clears his throat. He says, looking at the numbers here, and it would be good for you to lose about 10 pounds. I'm like, I'm an intelligent man. I know what you're doing to me. You know I need to lose a lot more than 10 pounds. He just says, I'd just like you to lose about 10 pounds. Can you just work on that? Like, 10 pounds wouldn't, I could sneeze and lose 10 pounds. 10 pounds wouldn't matter at all. He knows that. He's a doctor. Now, why did he tell me that? Because he wanted to get me moving in the right direction, that's all. So if you invite somebody to church, that doesn't make you Billy Graham. <laughs> you invite somebody to church doesn't mean you're a flaming evangelist, right? But it would, be, it would be moving in the right direction, wouldn't it? It would be being conscious of lost people. It would make you pray more. I'll tell you what, it'll light it up while you listen to the preaching. If you've got somebody sitting next to you that you love who doesn't know the Lord yet, and you're sitting there going, say this, say it again. God, help them hear it, right? I mean, it just changes everything. All of a sudden, it's kind of exciting after a while. And so I'm going to ch- I challenge you, we're going to make some little invitation cards for you to use. And we're going to change things around in Easter this year. Instead of doing that sunrise breakfast real early in the morning, if you want to meet for sunrise, I'll pray with you at sunrise. But what we're going to do is we're going to have breakfast during Sunday school. All right? So this year, breakfast during Sunday school and then Sunday morning church, all going to be right there together. That was a shock to some of you, I know. But why are we doing that? Because we're not here to eat breakfast. That's why. We can eat breakfast anywhere. We're not here just to enjoy each other. But what we want to do on that day when... People who maybe don't know the Lord yet would be maybe a little bit more likely to come and be with us. We want to make it a wonderful day for them to come, hey, eat with us, have breakfast, and be with us in a morning service. And they get to look in while we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. might make a difference. You never know. And wouldn't it be something, if folks decided to catch this idea and just went to town working on that, I would not be surprised if our balcony was full that day. Easter Sunday here, normally a little over 700. We could have 800. That would fill the balcony. That would be exciting. You say, what's the magic of filling the balcony? Nothing. It's just symbolic. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I don't have this ego thing going about the building being full. We already have a wonderful church here. If we want to be happy with ourselves, we can just be happy with what we have. But we want to be faithful to the Lord. Hey, let me tell you a couple of stories before I quit. Just a couple. I have to tell you these. Just an illustration from my own experience so you get an idea. Cliff and Amy Carpenter came to our church one Sunday. I noticed them. He was a school teacher and a coach and a semi-pro softball player, big hulk of a guy, the kind of guy that always picked on me at school. He was the kind of guy that was the cool guy. He was the kind of guy that was always popular, and I was always the kind of guy that he didn't even notice unless he was beating me up. You know, that was the kind of guy he was. He was a big, strong, handsome, athletic guy. He and his wife came, visited our services. Somebody had invited them for Easter. So they're like, okay, and he got his fresh shirt on and he came for Easter. Well, he went on my list then. I'm going to go visit him, you know. So I got in my car and I drove over to his house. i never forget this. And, you know, he comes to the door, big hawk of a guy, opens the door. Yeah, come on in, you know. So I come in, I sit down, and it was like going back to high school again. He's an athlete, and he was cool, and I'm not. And I tried to tell him about the Lord. He said he was already saved. And I'm thinking, I don't think so, you know, I don't think so. And so I kind of... I was like, I felt like I stumbled away from the house that night. Got in the car, drove away, and I thought, well, I'm a loser. I can't even connect with that guy. It's like I was back in high school. It was bad. I went back home. A few months later, there was a special day. I think it was friend day, and somebody invited him to come again. A family member invited him to come again. 
So they came again, sit and kind of listen. I noticed while I was preaching, he kind of looking at me, he's watching. So I went and called on him again, same thing. That's just not, not that good. I thought I was back in high school again. He's an athlete. I'm a loser, you know. So one day I'm out in the yard throwing a baseball with my boys. And uh, he taught school south of where we live. And I saw his little black car come up the road. And he shot past the house. And he kind of waved when he went by. And then the car slowed down. And then he backed up and he pulls in. And he just comes walking over. And he goes, how you doing? And we talked for a while. And that was it. And I thought, what made him do that? Why did he, you know, why did he want to talk to me? I, he didn't, he didn't. He didn't say anything. So I prayed for him. I put him on my, I kept him on my list. I kept praying for him. One day, I called him on the phone. I said, hey, Cliff, can, can I buy breakfast? He said, sure. So I sat down with him at breakfast at McDonald's, and I said, hey, Cliff, you're a really athletic guy. You're in great shape, and I'm not. Um, if I were to get in, you know, if I wanted to get in good shape, wouldn't it help me to have a trainer? He goes, yeah, absolutely. Just kind of walk me through what to do, what kind of exercises and all of that. He goes, yeah, that would help you. I said, well, you see, Cliff, that's kind of how I look at myself. I look at myself sort of like a spiritual trainer, that I help people kind of grow spiritually. And I would love to be your trainer. If you ever want one, you tell me. I'll never forget what he did. He goes, seriously, would you do that for me? I go, yeah. He goes, me and my wife too? I go, yeah. He goes, all right. When do you want to do it? He goes, well, come over to my house on Tuesday night. It's like, okay. So I go over to his house on Tuesday night. And now he's already told me he's a Christian. He's big and he's strong and he's muscular. I'm not going to tell him he's not a Christian, even though I know he's not a Christian because he might punch me. And so I'm just like, well, I'll just, my first 10 lessons are going to be on how to become a Christian, even if you already think you are, you know. And all kidding aside, during that time, Cliff and Amy both came to know the Lord in the most beautiful way. And he just started reading his Bible. And God started working on his life. People could see the difference in his life. And, I, and, and he baptized her. I baptized him and he baptized her. It was a night... Holly was baptized out on a lake. He's still walking with the Lord today. I can tell you other stories like that. I just tell you that one story to, to, to ask you the question, do you think there might be like a Cliff or Amy Carpenter in your life somewhere? And you watch to see if they have any interest, if God is working in them. And if they are, are you ready? Are you serving? Are you, are you prepared? Are you hungry to do that? Are you eager to do that? Because if you are, I suspect we could have a pretty good time here. And you come back tonight and um, be prepared to share, tell how you came to know the Lord. Because I believe that God is a story with these stories in the book of Acts and stories about how you came to know the Lord. They're that simple and they're that wonderful that that will inspire us to say, maybe there's some other stories out there still. I want you to take your hymn book and I want you to sing a song closing today. It's number 309. It is... Number 309 in your hymn book, Without Him, Without Him I Could Do Nothing. Let's stand, sing it together. I want to invite you to come if you need the Lord as your Savior. Some of you may be here today, you say, well, I feel like I'm on the outside looking in. If you'd like to be on the inside, you simply come. Let somebody explain to you how to be saved. Pastor, if you just, just come to the front here and turn around so folk know, they can come to you. You come to Pastor to serve you'd like somebody to explain to you how to be saved. The rest of you that already know the Lord, would you just tell the Lord, Lord, uh, like, Philip, I'm ready. I'll serve you. Uh, if you show me who's open, I- I'll go. I- I'll I'll take a step in that direction. I- I'm signed up for this. I'm ready to go. Maybe you can kind of just be bold enough to say, I sincerely want to work on inviting somebody to come here on Easter this year. This is a gesture. Just as like, that's like losing 10 pounds, starting to move in the right direction. Let's sing this song. Without